0: listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at SojournFairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of His Word. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews 1, 1 1-4. having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. It's good to gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's been a little while since I've preached. I'm just uh, grateful to be able to, to be up here this morning to open up God's word with you. And man, I love gathering together as a church. We're doing a membership class right now and uh, yesterday spent some time together with some brothers and sisters here, and and one of the things we talked about is just the the beauty of gathering together as the church, and how that's not something that we just kind of add on in our life, but is essential for us to be together as God's people week in and week out, and that we come not just for ourselves, but we come for those around us, that we can collectively lift up our voices and collectively hear God's Word, and so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 1, but before we do that, Let's just go to the Lord in prayer together. Father of glory, Lord of light, we we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would shine the light of who you are, your greatness and your glory into our hearts and lives this morning. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would align our hearts, that you would renew our minds. I know a lot of us probably have all kinds of things that are going on in our minds, even today, even as we drove into the parking lot this morning, thinking about different things, good and bad. So God, we just pray that as we sit under the preaching of your word this morning, that you would renew our minds today, that you would help us to see and savor Jesus above all in our lives. God, we're grateful for the gift it is to be your church, your people called together to be a family, to make much of you. God, we're messy. Our lives are often chaotic and challenging and relationships can be difficult, but God, we are grateful that by your grace we're called together to encourage one another to seek after you. And so we pray now that as we receive your word that you'd help us to do just that, to, to seek after you. Holy Spirit, move in this time for your glory and our good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of the word perfect? I know my son Owen, my son Isaac, when they hear the word perfect, probably think dude perfect. If you've never seen dude perfect, you should look him up on YouTube. Guys do some crazy trick shots. Maybe you think about a perfect date, or a perfect meal, or a perfect vacation. You know, something that's interesting about when we think about the word perfect is what we attach that to is often subjective, That we look at something and see it as perfect, but that's our opinion. It's from our vantage point. Someone could agree or disagree with us. I mean, the definition of perfect is having all required elements, something being faultless, as good as it is possible to be. So what that means is there really aren't very many things in our world that are objectively, verifiably perfect. I mean, there's perfect pitch which is the ability to distinguish and replicate any musical note. Only about one in five people are able to do this. If you're a fan of baseball, there's a perfect game in baseball, which is when a pitcher doesn't allow a single runner to get on base throughout a whole game. 27 batters come to the plate, and 27 batters sit down. In all the history of baseball, that's only happened 23 times ever. For something to be objectively perfect, it has to be Perfect, by definition, it has to be without fault, as good as as it is possible to be. Last Sunday, we started our Advent series called Come and See His Glory. And this time of Advent is a time for us to focus on the fact that Christ has come. The word Advent means arrival or coming. And so during this season of Advent, we look back and we think about the greatness of the fact that Christ has come, but we look forward and hope that Christ will come again To make all things new. And we're spending these four Sundays of Advent leading up to Christmas Eve looking at various texts in Scripture to teach us about the glory of God seen in the person of Jesus. It's an invitation for us to come and see His glory, whether that's for the first time in our life or maybe just that we need to be refreshed in it week in and week out. Last week we talked about the promise of God's glory being revealed from Isaiah chapter 40 that we read again this morning. Isaiah wrote that hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And he gives us this picture that a rescuer will come, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed for everyone to see. Well, today we're going to answer another key question. How does Jesus reveal God's glory perfectly? How does Jesus reveal God's glory perfectly And there's a reason we're going to talk about this this morning. There's a reason this matters, and it's this, that that's not a subjective opinion. Like my belief that the crab cake at Coastal Flats is the best crab cake in the world. You could agree or disagree with me about that, but you can't disagree that Jesus displays perfect glory. And because he does, that means Jesus can't be ignored. Instead, Jesus has to be worshipped and be the center of our life and exalted in everything we do. And so my hope for us this morning is that whether you know this text in Hebrews that we're going to look at or not, whether you are eager for Advent and Christmas or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, my hope for you this morning is that God will enlarge your view of Christ, that He'll realign your view of who Jesus is, and that you will come and see His perfect glory. And as you do that, that you'll be in awe of Him this Advent season. So let's dive into Hebrews 1 this morning, and may we come and see his glory more clearly. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. This was read this morning, but really spend most of our time focused in on verse 3. I've divided this up into four sections or four points, and to give you some help in taking notes, we're going to put those points up on the screen. Uh, We have elementary kids that are in here from third to sixth grade, and out of their little class together, they said, you know what would be helpful for us in taking notes is if you actually put something up on the screen so we could write that down. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So that's not just for the kids, but for us as adults as well. But before we get into those four points, I think it's really important for us to circle back on something. As we're talking about glory, I want to make sure that we really get what that means. That we actually have a good understanding of that, because it's easy for us to misunderstand it. Generically speaking, glory is about giving someone or something high honor, something that has renown or, or magnificence. So when it comes to the glory of God, all those things are true for him. He deserves all honor. We should glorify him. We should give him glory and honor. He is great. He is magnificent. But the glory of the Lord is so much more than that. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory is most translated from a word in Hebrew that means heavy. So why is that the case? Why would we take the word in Hebrew that means heavy and say that means glory? What's The authors that are writing the Scriptures, what are they trying to communicate in that? The reason that the glory of the Lord is the heaviness of the Lord is because the glory of the God is about the totality of His essence, is about His character, His nature, His reality as one God who exists in three persons. I mean, you've probably been in a situation where you've been in a room maybe hanging out with someone or you're in a, a conference room at work and you're kind of waiting for the meeting to begin and then the boss shows up or someone famous or important walks into the room, and there's a a weightiness to their presence. And that's just a person. We're talking about the God of all creation. There's a weightiness to God, to the core of His being. And so if we encounter the glory of the Lord, when we encounter the glory of the Lord, we encounter His perfect presence. And as Tom mentioned last week, God created us for His glory. He created us to experience His glory and to express His glory. But God's glory, His weightiness is so intense, so perfect that we have difficulty in taking it all in. In fact, when we look back at the Old Testament, we see those encounters that people have with God and they can't see the fullness of His glory because if they do, they'll be crushed by it. Moses desires to see God's glory and God says, I can't show you my full glory, it'll it'll destroy you. And so he allows them to see the remnants of his glory. And Moses walks off the mountain with his face glowing because he's encountered just a a snippet of God's glory. See, because of our rebellion, because of our sin, we're unable to take in the fullness of God's glory. In fact, without transformation in our lives, the glory of God will continue to be crushing to us. But we are not without hope which is the very point of Christmas, it's the point of Advent. It leads to our text today and our first point in our sermon together. Revealed glory. Revealed glory. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at them again. The author of Hebrews writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Man, this text starts off like the beginning of an epic tale, right? Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. Like, do you hear that phrase? Does it make you in awe of the fact that God speaks to us? And that shouldn't be something we just kind of breeze past and think that's kind of cool, that's kind of neat. No, this is the God of all creation who speaks to us. And so often in our world, in our lives, we're looking for a word. We want to hear something. We want someone to tell us what we should do, or where we should go, or how we should interpret life, or what we should think. And the world around us is full of ideas. It's full of voices to answer our deepest questions. Our world never stops talking at us. But what our world says to us is just jumbled words, confusing ideas and thoughts, things that don't make sense. It's like... When we're at home sometimes, this even just happened last night, Amy and I are in our kitchen and our kids are running around and she's trying to say something to me and I, I, what? I can't hear you. What? what? I can't understand you. What are you saying? Because there's just so much noise going on around us and that's the world we live in. There's constant noise, constant clamor and clatter going on around us. But what if in the midst of the myriad of noises, there was a clear voice being spoken? A voice that rises above, a voice that rises beyond anything and everything else this world throws at you. A voice that is consistent and caring and clarifying to you. Wouldn't you want to hear that voice? Wouldn't you want to listen to that voice? Hebrews 1 tells us there is a voice and it's the voice of not just anyone, but the words of our living God. Our God who spoke creation into existence. Who said, let there be light and there was light. He created everything out of nothing just by calling it to be. And that's the same God that speaks to you today. This is huge. God is not obligated to speak to you. He's not obligated to do it, but he has. Because our God is not distant. He's not uninvolved in our world or your life. He's personally involved, intimately involved. He has spoken and he has done so at many times and in many ways. He spoke to our fathers The generations of his people, of his family, and he did so through prophets like Isaiah. And his word is a revealing word. Through his word, we learn who he is. Through his word, we learn who we are in relation to who he is, created in his image. Through his word, we give life and restoration. His word is a redeeming word. God has spoken. In so many ways, but even in all of that, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that it wasn't the fullness of what he had to say. What he would say. What he now says. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And who is his son? It's none other than Jesus. Jesus, who the author says is the heir of all things, the creator of all things. He is the very Son of God. As Colossians 1 and John 1 tells us, He is the creator of everything. It's for Him and through Him that everything that has been created comes to be. It's through Jesus Christ. Without God's revelation of Himself, without God communicating to us who He is, His character and His nature, His desire to redeem and restore, all of us would be utterly lost. But He has revealed Himself. He has shown His glory at many times and in many ways, but finally and fully, God has revealed His greatness through His Son. God has revealed His grace through His Son. And it's in Jesus, it's through Jesus that we see that His revealed glory is a radiant glory, which we see in verse 3. It's our second point. Look at the beginning of verse 3. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Man, I love this phrase, this picture. When we think about something radiant, it's, it's something that glows. There's a brightness, a shining light that comes out from something. He's saying the glory that Jesus has is a radiant glory. It's a bright, shining glory. Jesus is not a light. He is the light of the glory of God, shining in the darkness. John 1 says that through Jesus we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, He glows with glory. He shows and shines the character and nature of God to us. He radiates it. And He can do this. He can display radiant glory because of what we see in the next part of verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power Jesus is the image of the invisible God Colossians 1 says you know sometimes my boys will go in my room and grab my clothes and put them on and like put on several pairs of pants or several shirts and think it's funny to walk around doing that they're pretending to be me but that's the key they're pretending to be me they aren't me Jesus isn't pretending to be God. He isn't reflecting God to us. He is God. Fully and completely. He is the very essence of who God is. Colossians 1.19 says that in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And because of that, he's able to uphold the universe by the very word, by the power of his word. Nothing is outside of the control of this Radiant, glorious person in Christ. Who can do that but the very God of all creation? What the author of Hebrews is declaring to that, us is that if you want to know who God is, if you want to see God's glory, you see it in the person of Christ. That is radiant, bright, shining glory. But Jesus also displays redeeming glory to us. which is our third point. We see this in the last part of verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Like I said earlier, the glory of God is crushing to us in our sin. The darkness that exists within us, it repels from the blinding perfection of our holy God. We we run away from it. We hide from it. Just like Adam and Eve hid from God as they rebelled against Him. We do the same in our own lives now. We, We can't take the bright, shining glory, the radiant glory of God coming to us. And our sin separates us from God. It creates this relational chasm between God and us. And it's irreparable by our own effort. You can't fix that problem by your own striving, by trying to be a good person or do better in your life because the chasm that's created because of our rebellion is eternal. I mean, there's, there's no end or beginning to. It's like God is lifted up and we are down low. We are unable to fix that. I know I've said this before, but I, I don't like the illustrations where there's a, there's a chasm, like a, a valley or a, a chasm that's in between us and God, and we're over here and God's over here, because it, it makes it seem like we're on equal playing fields with God. We just need a little bit of help to jump across. No, the, the way that picture should be drawn is that God is forever lifted up and we are forever sinking down that we are lost and have no hope in this world to fix that problem, remedy that situation because of how great and glorious God is and how rebellious we are in our own life. That chasm exists in our life. The reason it's present is because we've placed ourselves at the center of our story. When we're born into this world, we believe both functionally and foundationally that we don't need God. I don't need Him. I don't need His Word. I am, I am good on my own. I'm a self-sufficient ruler of my life. Our culture preaches that to us constantly you are fine on your own you can be your own person even as eric was leading us in confession this morning this idea of self-actualization you can be the best you could possibly be you don't need anybody's help for that we're habitual glory stealers when our glory stealing our glory seeking in anything but god deserves righteous punishment because god alone deserves glory but friends our god is faithful and our God is committed to his plans and his purposes. His will will not be thwarted by our disobedience. His will will not be thrown away because of our rebellion. He has made a way to recover his glory and manifest it to us and for us. In order to do that, he sent Jesus' a display of redeeming glory The author of Hebrews says that after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus lived a perfect life. He took on humanity and obeyed God in every way that God called him to, never seeking to trump the Father in anything that he did, but honoring him in all things. He walked in complete obedience. And then he willingly went to a cross to be a substitute for you, to take on the wrath for your glory stealing. And out of that, brings about redemption out of that pays for our sin but our savior didn't stay dead after paying for sin no bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and because he's alive in the fullness of radiant glory in the fullness of redeeming glory he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high because in jesus it is finished there's no need for additional sacrifice There's no no need for another Redeemer to come. He has come. He's come perfectly. The glory that should crush us under its weight is actually an amazing gift of grace to us. Because in it and through it, we're made to see that we are not sufficient in ourselves to be our own saviors, but are in need of the only true Savior, the only true Redeemer, King Jesus. All of these things, revealed glory, radiant glory, redeeming glory, they come together as a display of perfect glory. Our fourth and final point. All of this is a picture of who our God is, and there is no one else that can display the perfect glory except the very Son of God. It's why the author says what he does in verse four, and if you recall when we went through Hebrews, just talking about the greatness of Christ. Verse 4, he says, "...having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." He's basically saying, because of who Christ is, because of the perfect glory of what he has, he's better and bigger than anything, even angels. I mean, I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up and started speaking to me, I think that's pretty amazing, a pretty glorious kind of thing. But he's saying, no, 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 that's not perfect glory. Only Jesus has perfect glory. It's a picture of who our God is. And when we get into this, we can be amazed at the reality of this. But the problem is, a lot of times we can get tired of displays of glory. I mean, we live in a world where people are very much about promoting themselves. And that can seem self-aggrandizing. Self-aggrandizement is exaggerating your greatness. It's being... Uh, dishonest with who you are and what you do just to get recognition from others to get praise from others but jesus is not self-aggrandizing he can't be there's no hyperbole in who jesus is there's no exaggeration in his greatness his display of glory is not subjective it's perfect see as one scholar writes jesus is the prophet through whom god has spoken his final word He is the priest who has accomplished a perfect work of cleansing for his people's sins. And he is the king who sits enthroned in the place of chief honor alongside the majesty on high. No one else can say that and be truthful. No one else can claim that about themselves and not be a liar. No one but the perfect son of God who displays perfect glory. But you know what I love about this season of Advent is that even in the display of perfect glory, God reveals that in the most upside-down way, the way that we would never think. If we were writing this story, this isn't how we would do it. Jesus' coming was announced long ago, but it wasn't through some hype campaign. No, it was a gift of grace and hope, of promise that the rescue and redemption that we so need would come but the expectation of God's people is that He would come as a king and He would crush enemies. He would kick out the Roman occupiers in Israel and He would take over and establish the kingdom of God here on earth in that way. In fact, even at the birth of Jesus, wise men who came from the east sought Jesus out because they said, oh, this is the king of God's people. He must be in Jerusalem. And they go to Jerusalem because that's where a king would be and he's not there. They didn't recognize this about Jesus because Jesus wasn't there because he didn't come in in flurry of pomp. He didn't have an inaugural parade to kick things off for himself. Even though his birth announcement was glorious that angels came and announced the glory of Christ had come, they came in the middle of the night to shepherds. the Son of God who would display the perfect glory of God comes in the humblest, most unassuming way, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. You and me. The fact that Jesus comes as a humble child doesn't diminish his glory. It doesn't take anything away. The amazing thing is that even as Jesus comes into the world as a child, he still is upholding the universe. He doesn't set that aside. He doesn't pass that off to the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God who called everything into being. He holds it together. Even as an embryo, he's still the King of Kings. He knows every detail of his perfect character and nature displaying it to us through his creation. The problem is, is that oftentimes during seasons of Advent we can get so easily distracted. We can get caught up with less glorious things. We stress out over our Christmas cards. Like, does the picture of our family look just right? Are kids' hair combed the right way? Do I look good enough in that outfit or this one? And do I get everything out to the right people? We stress out over gifts that we need to get people, and parties that we're going to or throwing, decorations. In the midst of that, we set aside what all of this is actually for. But if we're honest, our temptation to distraction doesn't just happen during Advent. It can happen all throughout the year. We can get caught up in life, focused on other things, Sometimes it's the madness of life or just the mundaneness of life. We can begin to set the glory of God aside and be taken captive by less glorious things. What what might that be for you? Where are you tempted to be taken captive by less than perfect glory? We're doing an Advent devotional with our family, and there's a question that was posed to us just last night, and it's, what are you looking for to make you happy? What are you looking to to make you happy? That you think, if I could just have this, then I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy. I know for me, it can be things like order in my home or desire for things to be comfortable or easy in my life. And when those things aren't in place, I can become easily annoyed and frustrated with different things that are going on, whether it's my family or things in ministry When I get distracted in that way, seeking after less glorious things to have control in my own life, I can start to think that Jesus probably isn't that relevant to my life. Sure, I need him for my salvation, but when it comes to the day-to-day of my life, I can kind of push him to the side, because God probably doesn't care about the details of my life. He doesn't care about what I'm frustrated with. When I find myself in that place, I lack joy I was recognizing that even this week we hadn't yet put our Christmas decorations up and I was kind of just like, man, I really just want to get our Christmas decorations up. I think that'll help me to remember what this is all about. To fight for joy. To remember that the greatest gift that's ever been given to me has come already. I can experience His grace and glory. The very purpose of this season, what it points to is that in the midst of the messiness that is life, the full of distractions, a life that's full of disappointment. I would guess some of you this morning are are struggling with disillusionment, disenchantment with life, with God, with Christmas. But friends, our God has spoken and he has shined light, the light of his glory into the darkness in sending us a rescuer and a redeemer. One who would not rescue and redeem from a distance but would enter into the mess that is our world, that is our life, calling us out of darkness to experience light in life. See, for me, when I go back to this truth shown to me over and over and over again in the pages of the Scriptures pointing to the greatness and glory of my God who has made Himself known to me, it's then that I can see and experience afresh the great love that God has made manifest to me through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. In that, I can find joy and hope again. But man, I need to be reminded of it regularly, daily. I need it for my heart to be realigned to see that a greater more perfect glory has been shining before me already see in the darkest spots of life I can look to Jesus again in the most disappointing or discouraging spots in life I can look to him again in the most joyous times of life when things are going particularly well I can look to Jesus in the mundane parts of life cleaning folding laundry preparing meals taking care of your job, your spreadsheet, your kids, whatever it is, just those mundane things, I can look to Christ again to be captivated by his glory because in Jesus, my greatest need, your greatest need has been met. He outshines everything, everything. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. Light has broken into darkness. Hope has come. Perfect glory is on display. So my hope for you this Advent season, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, my hope for you is that you would look to Jesus in a fresh way. And what I mean by that is that you would set aside preconceived notions of Jesus. Like I don't need to learn much more about Jesus, I already know who he is. My hope is that, and what I mean by that, that fresh way is that you'd kind of set aside those tired caricatures, they just be discarded about Jesus, that Christmas is just about a cute little cuddly baby. No crying he makes. What? He's a baby. Of course Jesus cried. He's human just like us. That we'd actually see Jesus for who he truly is. That we'd focus on him. That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The perfect son of God who came to display the perfect glory of God. I hope for you this Advent season is you actually take time to think about who Jesus is. You'd open up the scriptures and read about it. Maybe if you have a hard time doing that, that you download an app and listen to God's Word read over you. There are tons of great Advent albums out right now that you'd listen to music about who God is and who Christ is to align your heart, align your mind back on the glory of our Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, I want you, along with me, to fight for joy this Advent. To fight for joy in Christ. But don't do it on your own strength. Do it with one another. Seek to set your gaze on the perfect glory of the humble child who would go to the cross for you, the King of all creation. You know what? Then as you look to Jesus, as you see Him for who He truly is, what He's done, I trust and believe that'll lead you to worship. That'll lead you to be in a place of awe. That God has made Himself known to us. And that because of that, we're able to give Him glory and reflect that glory back. And so in faith, Look to the glory of God in Christ. In hope, look to the perfect glory of God that we see in Jesus, whether that's for the very first time. Maybe you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. I just encourage you to think on who Christ actually is, that this is what this Advent season is truly about. Maybe for you, you need to do that for the thousandth time, the millionth time in your life, to realign your heart and mind. May it lead us all to be in awe of Him so we might be heralds of His glory, just like those angels in the first Christmas night. This Advent season, I want to invite you and implore you to come and see his glory. Come and experience his grace. There's nothing else more wonderful, nothing else more magnificent, nothing else more perfect than that. You know, every week as we gather together, we're given the opportunity to have our hearts and our minds set back on that which is truly glorious. We do that through song. We do that through the word of God read. We do that through prayer. We do that through preaching. And now we do that through taking communion. It's a meal of a bread and cup. And in this, we're given this tactile experience to be refreshed in what Christ has done for us. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste and see the perfect glory of God on display in the radiant, redeeming work of Jesus, who is the final word of God. Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you to rescue you from the empty pursuit of less glorious things. I asked you earlier, what is that for you? What are you chasing after that's not perfect glory, but is temporary glory, is fake glory? Whatever that is, confess that to the Lord this morning. Lay it at the feet of Christ and come and be reminded that grace has been extended to you as you eat the bread and drink the cup. Come forward in faith and behold your King who has come and who will come again to make all things new. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. I trust and believe that our God is sovereign and he is providential over your life. You are not here by accident today. That God saw fit for you to be here. And so don't let that kind of pass by haphazardly. Instead of coming forward and taking communion, if you don't yet know Christ, I want you to think on who Jesus is. Who do you believe he is? And if you're ready to place your faith in him, to turn away from sin and turn to Christ, do that even as as you sit in your seat this morning. And then let somebody around you know that. We want to help you learn who Jesus is and what it looks like and what it means to follow him. Next week you can come forward as a new brother, a new sister in Christ to partake of this meal with us. For those of you that will come forward, there are tables in the front and the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and rejoice that the glory, the perfect glory of God has been shown to us in Christ. Let's pray. Glorious God, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to us to display perfect glory to us. He is radiant and he is regal. He is our King and Lord. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to be captivated by him. Help us to be captivated by the perfect glory we see in Christ and not less glorious things. And, God, I know all of us can wrestle with that. All of us can struggle with that. And so we confess that this morning. But, God, we pray by the work of your Spirit in our life through your people, through your word, through the songs we're going to continue to sing now, that you would realign our hearts and minds on you. May we be in awe this Advent season as we set our gaze on Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.